Scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. I'm just coming out of COVID protocols, health and safety. I'm fine. Uh, Knocked out our whole family. We're okay, Uh, but it's good to be back. Um, Many of you have been in my patio in my backyard, and uh, there's this huge historic oak tree. And I think you'd have to have like three guys link arms to to get an arm's width around it. And it provides this incredible shading and awning, and there's a lot of cement back there. So if we didn't have that tree, it would be a miserable place. And, you know, we study out there, we eat out there. It's like an extra room. Um, Every two weeks, our gardener comes, and uh, one of the things he does is water all of our plants for us. I don't even think it's part of the deal, but he's very conscientious. He waters all our plants, the potted plants, and uh, he's very good, very good. Uh, but there, there's one thing that he does that amuses me is every two weeks he'll come and he'll stick the hose next to the oak tree for like a minute and, uh, and then go on to water the other plants. And that kind of amuses me. It's like giving a teaspoon of water to like an elephant. You know, just like, hey, I, you know, fill up there, buddy. And I, I think to myself, you know, oh, it's not getting water there. Like, it's getting water much deeper and where the ends of the roots are. Like, it's not, it's not getting it for a minute right next to the trunk of this big oak. Uh, it gets deep water. And this is the amazing thing about oaks, is like whether, so whether it's really rainy and really good for like all the green hills in Southern California, the oak is gonna be just fine. But if it doesn't rain, the oak is gonna be just fine. Right? So whether it's really lush, whether it's really droughty like it is now, right? Uh, the Lake Mead levels are dangerously low. The oak tree is going to be okay. The oak tree is going to be okay. Uh, Psalm 1 gives this the, a key, gives you a key, me a key, to that deep water where the oak draws up. It kind of gives us a key uh, not just for Psalm 1, but if, if you read the commentators, uh, there's, there's huge agreement here, is that they think this is a key psalm to the rest of the psalms, the rest of the 149 psalms that we have. Um, psalm 1 is this key. And what I love about it is that it's tiny, it's brief, it's simple even, uh, but I think it's so missed because it's, it's the thing that grows those roots deep for you, grows our roots deep for me, uh, in good times and bad. So uh, the external stresses that you all have 
are going to almost be immaterial to what we can tap into. They're going to be there, but they're almost going to not matter for getting that deep water. That's what Psalm 1 is. Uh, it's also, I think, it gets to the kernel, it gets to the meat of how you're formed and transformed, how I'm formed and transformed, how we, uh, how we grow. That Psalm 1 kind of is that, that key. So what is that centering key um, where you could handle all of life? Did you know that sometimes it's hard to handle an unexpected windfall? Sometimes it's hard to handle good times and euphoria. And then what do you do after that? Psalm 1 is going to give us something that knows, hey, you can process and handle your business with good times and if you lost a bunch of cash. The, the, the difficult times. It's, it's going to give you the ability to process. So, so what is this thing? What is, what is this thing? It's meditation. It's very similar to what we talked about a couple weeks ago when I was saying remembering. Meditation is going to help you remember some of the most core beautiful things, and it's that deep water. It's that deep water to go through good times and bad. Now, you might, you might share, I, I will be honest, I, I have a little minor revulsion to the word meditation, initially, I think. Um, I, I don't know if some of you feel this way, but it might conjure up uh, like breathing exercise, exercises, stillness, finding some peace and quiet, maybe some chai tea, maybe some stretching. Like, if, if that's what you think about meditation, or I would say Christian meditation, you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be, so I'm not talking about that. And Psalm 1 is gonna let us know, what, well, what are we talking about if we're talking about Christian meditation? Um, if, if, if meditation is just finding some peace and quiet, I think this, I think it's sort of a pseudo-spirituality and you don't need Jesus for it. Like you can just do it on your own time. But so this is what we're trying to get at is like what is the Christian form of meditation? Uh, but Psalm 1 asserts something, is that meditation is going to be the key to you being formed and growing. A lot of us desire growth, but I think we don't want the Psalm 1 way. We don't want the Psalm 1 way. And I'm going to call us back to the Psalm 1 way of meditation. It's not study, meditation, we're gonna figure this out. It's not study, it's not prayer, though it may lead to prayer. It's not worship, though it may lead up to worship. It's not praise, though it may lead up to praise. Um, meditation is this unique space that I don't think we talk about enough. We really don't. So this is what we're gonna talk about, is why do we need this? Um, how do I start it up? And then once you start it up, now what? Okay, pretty simple. So why do you need this? I, you may not be, or I may not be alone here. Maybe I am. Maybe you might feel alone in this way, but have you ever thought, okay, I need to pray? And you feel pretty cold and resistant and flat. Like, where do I start? 
Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel natural. You're, you're not connected to sort of an emotive or effective sort of way. Um, and so what do we do? The act of starting praying is dutiful. Um, we know we should pray. We even know how to say the words of a mechanical prayer, but it feels flat. Um, and it just comes out mechanically. That's why we need this. It's because you and I feel cold. Sometimes we feel resistant to even enter in. That's normal. You know that's a very normal part of the Christian life? Uh, I wouldn't say it's good, but it's normal to experience that. It's normal to experience that. And I think meditation finds us a way in to, to, to melt that, that ice, to melt the cold. Why else do I need it? I think this is because I think you want strength and I want strength and we do want fruitfulness. We want to grow in Jesus regardless of what happens. And this is the picture that Psalm 1 gives us. It's, it's this chaff, we'll talk about that, versus rootedness, okay? Um, it's like uh, putting napkins on a picnic table during the Santa Anas, right? <laughs> There's flaw. That, that's chaff, right? The husks of wheat, and it just, just goes in the wind. Um, versus what? Streams planted by, uh, trees planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. It just doesn't move. And then it says this, in all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. So, and the wicked are not so, so here's the comparative, but they're like the chaff. They're like the napkins in the Santa Anas. So we've got to ask this question. When he says everything he does prospers, does that mean that I'm saying if you do this, you'll just have the Midas touch? You're like, every project, every put, everything you put your hand on, it's just going to succeed. And you're just like, you are baller Christianity if everything you touch succeeds. No, it doesn't mean that. It says this. It says that there's fruitfulness in season. So it recognizes this, is that we're still going to have seasons of winter. We're going to have still seasons where it's dry and there's no leaves on the ground. But it's saying here, it's saying here is that, no, no, in season, you will always bear fruit. Always bear fruit. So even in difficulty, even when things do fail, guess what? There's going to be a season where you're going to have fruitfulness. That's a, that's a tree versus the napkins on a picnic table. Why else do you think you need this? Meditation and I need this. Well, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it. That's why we need this. I, an Eastern idea of meditation is this. Let's empty my mind of everything. Everything I'm worrying about it, let's just not think about it. Let's count to numbers in my head until I'm just not, I'm, until this is just blank. That's kind of an Eastern understanding of meditation. There used to be an HBO show called John from Cincinnati, and there was a character in this show that um, was into meditation, and so he had this place, um, a little special house in the back of his yard, and it was minimalistic, you know, wood, rice panels, you get the, a nice little yoga mat there, and he'd go out there, and he would need complete silence, and he would just meditate and try to empty his mind and get it blank. And it actually gave him a measure of peace. 
We can say that. This is Eastern meditation. He found a little bit of peace and quiet and just where nothing bad was happening. But this is the thing. As soon as someone entered in with another problem, his peace vanished. His peace vanished. So the only way that he's going to find peace is if he escapes the world and goes blank. That's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is actually the very opposite of that. It's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind. Absolutely cramming your mind. It's full of ra- reason and rationale, and it's full of emotions and confusion and anger and thrill and amazement. It's, this is Christian meditation. Is we don't empty the mind. We fill the mind. Um, well, what is this? We fill our mind with thoughts of God. And the Psalms allow us into that emotional spectrum And this God is going to give you different facets of his personhood to you. And sometimes you'll like it, and sometimes it will press on your will, and you won't like it. But but, but wouldn't it be a secret weapon for you if you could learn meditation, and it would be the kernel of peace, even in the middle of crazy, anxious circumstances around you, swirling around you? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could find some peace, even when the stresses are hitting you? It's not an emptying of your mind. It's not an escaping the problems. It's what? Peace in the middle of the problems. That would be a secret weapon. Why else do we need this? We need delight again. We need delight again. So in verse 2, it says this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, whenever you see law, it just, it's a stand-in for all of the counsel of God. The scriptures, it doesn't mean just the, the Ten Commandments. It means the whole counsel of God. Do you know what delight means in Hebrew? It means feel how wealthy you are. I like that. Um, there, there's a guy who has a storage unit right next to our storage unit for the church. And it, it's, it's in South Pass. And about half the time I show up, to go to our unit to get stuff and put stuff back. Um, there's this guy next to me, and he looks like, a, um, like an aging Mick Jagger. And his storage unit is filled with all of these like crazy, gaudy, you know, sparkling like rockware, but like in, in plastic um, sleeves, every single one. And he sits in there, and he's on his phone, and he's got a rows of shoes, you know, snakeskin boots all the way to all these other like crazy rocker stuff. And I don't know who he is. But I imagine that he's staying there with his collection and he's like delighting in it. Like this is my wealth, this is my memories. That's a little projection from Tim Leon, but that's what I imagine. <laughs> but this is not projection. I saw a little clip on Jay Leno. And you know how Jay Leno loves his cars, right? And he can only drive one car at a time. And he's his warehouse is filled with cars. And in this clip, he talks about how he'll just go out there and walk up and down, delighting in his cars. You feel the wealth. 
right? Um, uh, we were in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and there's a guy, there's a big, wealthy guy who um, had paper companies all throughout the state of Alabama. His name's Jack Warner, the Warner Paper Company. And at one point, he was the largest collector of American art. I, I think in the last decade, his family has sold off <laughs> a little bit of his collection, so I don't think that can be said now. But at one point, he had the most amount of American art, and he had built this yacht club on the Black Warrior River, and he had uh, built this beautiful golf car, of course, beautiful pools, and he, he basically made this big museum for all of this American art. And the, the, um, the docents, it would drive the docents crazy because Jack would go in there at night, delighting in his collection, and he would just move stuff. Uh, they came, this is, not, this is not a joke, they came one morning, they were like, where are these Japanese watercolors? They're like thousands of dollars, where, where are these? What did Jack do to these, right? He's on the lo security log. Well, he thought they would look great in the men's bathroom, right above the urinals. <laughs> he would pace around at night, loving his collection, delighting in his wealth. I, I have, this is mine, I'm associated with that. Look, this famous painter, mine, mine, mine. He, at night, no one there, delighting in his wealth. This is what we're talking about. This is what, what, what we need to do, is we need to delight again in the wealth that we have with God. We've forgotten it, like I said a couple weeks ago. But this is when meditation starts to hit. It's like, oh, there's this window when I can start to delight and count and figure out and, and wrestle against these benefits that I have from God. That's why we need it. We need delight again. So how do we start? How do I get there? How do we meditate to ultimately get to prayer? because my prayers are mechanical and dutiful and flat, monotone, maybe boring, but maybe, bo do I, can you bore God? Well, the first step is this. The first step to beautiful prayer is not to pray. Wait, what? <laughs> the first step to beautiful prayer is not to pray. It's to do something else. See, meditation is not the study of the Word of God, and it's not prayer, but it's crucial leading us to prayer. Um, let, me, let me tell you why. Is the Psalms, and especially when David says the law of the Lord, the counsel of God, they speak to us first. This is a crucial point of meditation. The scriptures speak to us first before we speak to God. That's why meditation is so crucial. Um, several friends of ours have adopted uh, um, little kids, um, infants to small toddlers from Chinese orphanages. And it, it's interesting is um, these friends, before they make the trip, they've done all of the, the back work the communication, the initial visits. Um, but what they, what they don't do is in those interim times when they're back at the States, before they go pick up the kid, this is what they don't do, is they do not study Mandarin. They do not 
put Duolingo Mandarin edition on their phones. They don't do that. But do you know what they do do? Is when they pick up their child, they speak nonstop to that child. Nonstop. Doritos Locos Taco. iPhone. iPad. Right? Xbox. Screen time. McDonald's Happy Meal. That's what they say over and over and over again. Everyone's like, McDonald's again? Um, This is it. In meditation, we're listening to God. We have to hear him speak before we can ever speak back. We don't just start up speaking. No, no, we're learning the language of God. That's what the Psalms does. Uh, the Psalms do is that they draw us in and say, this is the language in the person of God. Listen first, listen first, listen first, listen first. That's meditation is the listening first. Now, um, experiential wisdom is really real. So um, it, 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 if you talk to someone who's been through some fights, uh, you know, metaphorical or, or literal, I guess, um, there is a ton of things they learn. So usually if you talk to an older person, just by virtue of living and going, going through a lot of tough times, they have experiential wisdom. It's an amazing thing. But, but this is it, is if you are young and you want a wisdom and an experience and you say, I can't live 30 years to get that wisdom, the Psalms are crucial for you because they let you process and handle and understand emotions that you've never gone through yet and they give you the language of God, what, for something you've never experienced yet. You have this opportunity to have wisdom you've never gone through before. Um, There's a buddy of mine, he was like, he was like, oh, why do you always preach about pain? Fast forward five years from when he said that, a lot happened to his life, and he goes, I know why you preach in pain, about pain so much. Why? Because you are getting these tools for when it happens. It's inevitable, and the Psalms allow you to do that. The Psalms allow you to go in. Um, It's funny is, you know, success is this crazy thing, is if you can process and think about life through the language of the Psalms. Whenever you have a great event happen to you, you're euphoric, ecstatic, their success, it can quickly swing, it can destroy you because it can quickly swing to that, to what? Emptiness and dissatisfaction and longing for more. And the scriptures allow you to process success with the language of God. And the same thing with pain. They they allow you to process pain in the language of God. Um, But it does lead to prayer. So we've heard these words. You've thought about them. And it does lead to prayer speaking back to God. Which brings us to this, is who are we speaking to? Who are we listening to? Well, the Psalms actually give us a very complex person. 
the complex person of God, a complex person in David, Asaph, whoever the psalmist is, Moses. Um, it allows God not to be a mannequin God. I, I, would, I would venture to guess that, including myself, a lot of us are really good at forming God up in our own image. I really want him to be loving and huggy, and that's all we'll ingest. Or, or Eastern thought is I really want there to be judgment and precision and exaction, and, and there has to be an accounting for everything. And you know what we'll do is we'll just, we'll slowly migrate to the parts that we want to hear, and what do we do is we create a mannequin God. But you guys just know this about each other, your spouse even, is that you're still surprised. You're like, I had no idea you thought that. I had no idea you didn't like that. You really like that? And people are complex and they're funny and they're confusing. Uh, if you've been married a while and you're growing, you're always encountering a new person that's growing. And so, and so it can be really confounding to say, wait, what? I didn't, this is, this is confusing. It can be unsettling to you. But you know what? You get a real person and not a mannequin. You get a real, per it's the same with God, is when you go to the Psalms, you are going to be encouraged, but then you're going to run into a God who confounds you. You're going to run into a God that pushes up against your will, and if he can't push up against your will, then you don't need to change and everything's fine. But that's the frustrating thing about the Psalms, beautifully frustrating, is that you run into a God who's not a mannequin God, and he presses on your will. He presses on your will. Um, why is that important? Well, we can't change unless someone presses on our will. But check this out. Um, Jesus comes in the incarnation, and he's always talking about his father. It's in essence, over 10% of the words that Jesus uses is scripture. And it's like this, I love you telling me what to do. That is, well, and he delights in it. He delights that his father tells him what to do and he's shaped by whatever his father says. That's an incredible part of your growth, is, is you get to this point where you're like, I don't understand it, and it's, it sounds a little kooky to where I am in my immaturity, but I love it that you tell me what to do. I love it that your will is pressing down on mine, because you're going to change me. Um, verse 2, check this out. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I love, I delight that you press in. Your law, your words press in on my will. So when you pray, what does it sound like? So you've meditated on something. And I think Martin Luther, I, I've shared this before. I've shared this before with people privately. He offers us something. Um, his barber, Martin Luther's barber, uh, asked Martin Luther, he said, I, what do I do? how do I pray? So in classic Martin Luther style, he wrote a 40-page letter to his barber. Okay, that's, 
I'm not gonna write you guys 40 pages, all right? All right, four sentences in an email, maybe. Uh, but there's 40 pages in that, and you can check this online. You could read the last two or three pages, and you could pretty much get everything. That's like a pro tip for you, okay? You're welcome. Um, but Martin Luther said this, is he used some, something called tax, T-A-C-S. He said, so I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna jump into the psalm, I'm gonna jump into the law, and I'm gonna say, okay, what is it teaching me? You know, what's some ideas? What is it saying? You you have to make sense of it. Um, And then he says, uh, you push it back, and you say, there has to be something about this, his word, that makes God incredible, awesome, amazing, powerful, something that I am, there's always something there that says, oh, you're like that? I didn't know you were like that. And that's the A, that's the, what I think Americans say, the adoration part. All right? And then he says, and then you can move into a time, the sea, where you're confessing. You say, wow, you are so amazing. And wow, I don't measure up to that. I don't hit that mark. I'm not there. I want to be there. And he said, then the prayer slowly flows into what? Um, the S, which is supplication. And you're, you're asking. You're saying, would you change me? You are like that. I am not. Would you take me and move me? Would you press in harder on my will? Would you, would you, would you do this? Would you do this for my friend? Would you do the same thing, how you're acting and who you are? Would you apply it to my neighbor, my friend, and my co? See, then it moves from what? It moves, that meditation part of thinking, especially that adoration part, is the thing that begins to melt, the cold, hard resistance, and says, oh, you're like that. And then it can actually move you to prayer that's not dutiful, that's not mechanical, that's not boring, that's not flat. So that was, uh, I, think, I think that was huge. I shared this a couple weeks ago is when I discovered this and when it was taught to me, I, I understood why meditation is at the center. Because it, you can have a lot of busyness, you can have a lot of busy works, you can, but like if you don't enjoy God, what are you doing? If some of you have met with me, lunch, coffee in the morning, pastry, whatever, and I've asked you gentle questions, like, is there a time where you just read it for yourself and you have amazement and you're thinking long on thoughts of God? Is there a space? Um, The old school Christianity call it quiet times, right? They called it quiet times. Um, and I think I skipped ahead. Okay, pause. Yeah, old school, old school, um, called it quiet times. They taught us to carve out a time that was quiet, and then we'd be okay for the day. But look at this. The psalmist says day and night. Now, what does he mean? Like, oh, I don't do my work and I just read scripture all day? No, he doesn't mean that. He means this. It means that it's not just a, a thing that we check off and do, okay, I read a chapter, I did the, I don't know, Bible in a year program and I checked a little box and I just got through it and I'm going to the next and I'm just gonna get it done. That's not it. The psalmist is saying, hey, when you wake up, you're gonna need strength and endurance to face your day. So why not do it? 
Why not bring it before the Father and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you my day. And then, and then at, how about a snack at noon? We've got to eat physically. Why not a snack? There's a huge tradition of daily offices that go back hundreds of years of what to do at different parts of the day. I have small books where I just get a little snack. It can be one little verse, and I think on it. I say, how is that for me? How is God this way, and how is that for me? And then at the end of your day, when you're exhausted and you're wiped out and you have all these milling anxieties that last with you until 3 a.m., how about bringing that before God and taking another snack and say, oh, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to meditate on that. How is that for me in my anxieties and my stresses and my problems, relational and otherwise? This gets at the kernel of it. Um, okay, now what? What if you did that? What's going to happen? Well, you're going to gain some trunk weight. That's what's going to happen. You're going to become less chaffy, okay? You're going to do that. Um, you're going to meet a complex God. It's not the God I wanted, but the God who is. You're going to meet a very complex God. Um, you're going to find out that he is loving and he's full of justice. And it's infuriating and confusing on some days. But this is it. It's the language of the scriptures is going to give you a roadmap to go through all this struggle and difficulty and pain in a way that you never could before. All right, have you ever thought of this? Um, when you're, in, when you're sick or if you're in pain or, um, have you ever thought, like, is scripture on my lips? Or, or better yet, better yet, like if you stub your toe, cut your finger, bonk your head, you know, someone left the kitchen cabinet o- open and you're down here and you raise your head, is that just a tall person problem? <laughs> um, when that happens, is scripture on your lips? Um, well, I will tell you, Scripture is not on my lips when that happens. <laughs> All right, it's daddy's bowling words. Um, do you quote Psalms when the pain is intense? I don't. I don't. You probably don't either. This is the amazing thing, is on the cross, Jesus is quoting Scriptures, and he's processing the pain of, that he's going through with the truth of his father. Who does that? Who does that? So we do, we say this, oh, okay, hey, look, Jesus did really good at that. Hey, guys, I want you to go copy Jesus. No, we've been doing that. That, doesn't, that only works in short little stints, doesn't it? And then you're like, yeah, I tried it. Jesus is so good at that, though. Um, what's the point? We're not just saying copy Jesus, we're saying this, look, he became the chaff. He became blown away so that you would not be, so you would be an oak, a historic oak. Um, This is what's gonna happen, is this is not a microwave event, is oaks take a long time so that's why it matters when, when, when preachers or anybody who's discipled you has said, hey, look, is this part of your daily routine? If I ever meet with you and I kind of poke around at that, it's like, do you have a daily time where you, you, you get fed? Because what happens over time is those roots gently nudge into deeper and deeper and deeper soil. 
and you become less chaffy. But it, but it takes time and it takes what? It, this is a meditation, this is the key to that, that warmth and that building and that growing down. Um, I think I was taught this part. I, I, I grew up in evangelical America, big church, solid for the most part. I was taught quiet times. Maybe you were too. If you grew up in the church, maybe you were taught that. What I wasn't taught is that that would crush me if I didn't have Christ. Um, Mark Twain said he had this reoccurring nightmare where he felt a Bible on his chest and it was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. You know what, that's what your quiet times are without Christ. It is just law. That's why we'll quit. It is too much. It is, it, it, the weight does get more and more. But this is the amazing thing about Jesus' work. As he said, no, 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 it is not the completion of my laws that makes you right with me. I have made you right with the Father. And so now you can go to Scripture, and when it pushes on you, and it says, and it convicts you, and you say, yeah, I am definitely not like that. Instead of running away, what does it do? It moves your hearts towards Christ and say, I can wrestle with this. I can be confounded by this because your work is for me. Your work is for me. That's how we can do that. When I was a young pastor, I said this from the pulpit. I wore a robe, big black robe, high liturgy. I said, if you don't feel like it, don't go to the God's word. What was I saying? What was I struggling with? But I didn't have the words for it and I wasn't trained for it. I was saying this, it's like, well, I hate mechanical, dutiful prayers. I don't just want to go and do, read scripture and check a box and go on with my day. I want there to be a heartbeat there. And so what did I do in my immaturity as a pastor? I just said, don't do it. If you don't feel like it, don't do it. That was unhelpful to my own heart and it was unhelpful to the hearts I said that to. Because we need this. It's the only place of life. What I needed someone to do is tell me, hey, oh, would you think on that? Would you bring in the thoughts in and think about how God is great, how Christ fills this role? Would you, would you think long on that and keep on pouring over the words until what? Until there's a bloom of heat. No one taught me that. So our application here is, yes, go meet the complex God who will press upon your will. But Jesus has handled it, and it gives you the ability to do it. Let's pray into that. Jesus, um, uh, would you warm our hearts with, um, the great wealth and benefits that we have in you. And would you give us the ability to approach your word and to be exhilarated by it and be confounded by it? Give us that. Give us a greater confidence to jump in and think long and meditate 
and make us oaks, not chaffy. In Jesus' name, amen.